tell you, this morning I had grape juice. I thought it was apple juice. Uh, I knew that it tasted a little funny, <laughs> and I'd made reference to it. Last Sunday morning when I preached, I had orange juice. But uh, Joe Thorpe and Craig Rossing have put water up here. Can you believe that? telling you, Brother Martin, you're going to have to train these guys. Brother Nelson, Brother Nelson, you're going to have to train these guys. <clears throat> I made reference last Sunday morning about one place that I preached. They gave me a big silver goblet full of fruit juice or punch or something. And then I went one place and they had a, I was having a little throat problem and they brought this big cup and it had coffee in it. And, of course, nobody knew that I was drinking coffee while I was preaching. <clears throat> but it was because of my throat. <clears> throat> sure got a bad throat problem. <clears throat> I may have to eat jelly beans. Now, i got to tell you, Sister Grant loves jelly beans. I have never seen anybody like jelly beans. She'll go in the grocery store, and I'll say, well, what are you looking for? She said, I can't find the jelly beans. Well, Sister Grant, you have some Texas jelly beans. Good to see all of our guests here. <clears throat> good to see the Tinkers, the Fullers. Been some time since I've seen them, but good to see them. Good to have them here. And all of you, let us stand at this time. I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians 4. Now, I can just assure you, I have scads of notes, and I really don't know what I'm going to preach on tonight. So, after I finish, you may wonder yourself. I said, what did he preach on? But... uh, First, just let me read some scriptures. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. And then, verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And then we go to chapter verse 10, pardon me, of chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then the Apostle Paul closes out this chapter with some final words about prayer. And I'll just read verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You may be seated. You may say, now what in the world are you going to preach on tonight, Brother Grant? Well, if you read enough scripture, you can preach on anything. Stay with the text. Actually, what I want to do is talk on the subject, preparing for the seventh millennium. You know, we are actually going into the seventh millennium, the human race is. Six millenniums will expire at the turn of this century. And we're only five years from there, you know. So, when we look in history, we do know that Certain things have occurred in what the Scripture calls the fullness of time. Now, there's one thing that uh, I want to interject here concerning missionaries. We do have a missionary that's coming Thursday night, and we sometimes wonder why missionaries can be so productive in foreign fields. Uh, I think uh, there is one thing that you must understand is that when missionaries go, they pretty much lose contact with America and the development of things here in the Western Hemisphere. And a lot of it is like going back in time. And it changes your perspective relative to everything. And I think that I am seeing more and more of God's ministers that are backing off from almost everything that they're influenced by just to get the right perspective of life. Uh you have to be able, if you are preparing the human race for a new challenge, you have to be able to view life from God's point of view. In other words, you can't walk too close to the world. And when I say the world, I'm not talking about it in a bad sense. 
But you can't harmonize too much with the planet Earth and the happenings of the planet Earth and see things from God's point of view. Your most productive ministers are ministers who certainly are acquainted with life, but who are not influenced by life. And there is a difference, you know. Uh, The Apostle Paul explains his ministry in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. And then, of course, he talks about the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. He talks about the Lord being seen, this is verse 6, of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. Now, I understand that what he was saying when one born out of due time, before the due time, and that is, is talking about the conversion of Israel, the future conversion of Israel. But you will find that men of the Bible who were influential on those people that they were sent by God to minister to were people that were kind of out of harmony with times. Now, I understand that you can be out of harmony with times in a in a negative sense, just, you know, you just you simply don't have a clue of what's going on around you. And that's not what I'm talking about. You know, there are, there are just some people that are just, I mean, they're just out of harmony. And, and you know they are. And I think uh, during the 60s, the, the, the hippie movement, you know, they, they, they pushed so hard against the establishment that they wanted to be out of tune with the times and uh, they just wanted to go back to the you know to the the planet earth you know and just live off the earth and all this kind of stuff and some of them you know became very ragged and dirty and filthy and they did not like the stereotype after a while they all became a stereotype. You know. <clears throat> it's amazing how when things go, how uh, you want to change things. I, <clears throat> I just want to g- give you an example. Our, the mayor of our city uh, did a lot of marching in the 60s. He uh, supported the Communist Party was a member of the American Communist Party, was my understanding. Madison became a sister city to Havana, Cuba. Veterans Day, he flew out and went and spent the day with Castro two years in a row. And in the 60s, he was saying, we don't want people to tell us what to do. We don't want any laws. 
strange thing when he got into power, how many laws he wants now to control everybody's life. I mean, that's a strange thing, isn't it? See, that's just, that's just the way life, life is. And things seem to kind of run their cycle. So there is such a thing as just rebelling and getting out of tune simply because that you want to have your own way. I'm not talking about that. And I'm, I'm not talking about people who just don't have a clue as to what is taking place. But I am talking about people who will spend a tremendous amount of time in the Bible and in prayer so that they are able to discern what God is trying to do in the planet Earth. Now, the portion of Scripture that I read to you, I read it because uh, this portion of Scripture so diametrically opposes what we are seeing, especially here in America. You know, here is this order of ethics that strengthens the body. Basically, what Paul is saying, this is the way God's lined up his army. And then he says, now this is the armor that the army wears. And now, if you want to know what they do, as far as their spiritual diet is concerned, they feast on the Spirit of the Lord. So he talks a lot about ethics that strengthen unity. And it's amazing how many people are influenced by their surroundings. In other words, uh, uh, when I stand here uh, without reservation uh, to to say some of the things that I think I want to say, I kind of had to condition myself for this. I hope you understand why, because I'm not for sure that I am where I think God wants me to be in order to prepare this church and the ministers and others that I affect in the body of Christ for this seventh millennium. Now, I will say this. I, I'm, I'm, I feel that the church will not go into the seventh millennium. I believe that we're going to be rapture bound. I believe we are rapture bound. I believe we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But... For me to fail to prepare for this uh, would be just disastrous if the church went into the seventh millennium. Now, I'm not going to say there's going to be a drastic change from like New Year's Eve. We come for a watch night service and all of a sudden, oh, it's the year 2000. And all of a sudden the planet Earth turns green, you know. And everybody looks different. I'm not talking about that. Probably will be absolutely no immediate change. But things are changing rapidly. Uh, Just sweeping people off their feet. Our missionaries who go overseas, they they come back and they say, "I, I just wish I could get back overseas because I am amazed when I'm around Christians in the States how... Influence they are by stuff. You know, things. 
I use Brother Eckenrod's favorite word, stuff. Just influenced by stuff. <laughs> you know, really. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> what we find in the Bible, and I, I read this, and that is Ephesians 4, we, we, we find that uh, ministers are, are talked about and the importance of ministers. And you see, if ministers today stand up strong in the pulpits, there is an overwhelming voice from congregations and from the world. Congregations, uh, they rebel against it, and in the world, they, they, they brand you as being a cult. So, oh, you're a cult. I don't even try to defend myself anymore against that kind of junk. I've heard that. You find out when you try to defend yourself that you end up being influenced by it. I know there's a vast difference between myself and Jimmy Jones. Jim Jones, I know that. I know there's a vast difference between myself and... David uh, Koresh. I, I know that. And all these men try to elevate themselves up to be God. And uh, you can always define a cult, or maybe I should say you can always uh, pass judgment upon what you're involved in by seeing where Jesus is located. In your teachings, the closer to the center that Jesus is located, uh, the least amount of influence uh, the world and the power structure the world has on you. Now, these cults, Jesus is out there someplace, out on the periphery. If you put him smack dab in the middle like we do, uh, it's pretty hard to go that way. But yet, on the other hand, uh, we, we have to understand now that there's a tremendous amount of pressure on us to compromise. A lot of the old-fashioned values and such that, that, that we have. Uh, since the turn of the century, this world has changed. It seems like that certain things were held intact until about the last 100 years of this last millennium. And so we are influenced so much by the teachings of the last 20 years. This is the reason why that preachers, above all people, need to have a prayer life. I mean, a genuine, sincere prayer life where they, they can communicate with God and see life from God's point of view. You have to remove yourself. In other words, like Paul, one that is born out of due season or due time. Every time God wanted to do something miraculous on the planet Earth, 
That's what happened. When he wanted to form the nation of Israel, there had to be an Abraham. A man who was willing to walk away from all the influences of his life and not be affected by it. When he wanted to deliver Abraham's seed, there had to be a Moses. Now the story goes back beyond that. When God wanted to save the world from a flood, there had to be a Noah. An uncompromising man who somewhere and somehow he could disassociate himself from the voices that were in the world just to hear what God was trying to do. And every time God has done something, it has come as a great surprise to mankind. John the Baptist was one born out of due season. I mean, I mean, I mean it was time for him to be born. But I, in, in this sense, I use this phrase that he, was, he didn't harmonize so much with what was going on around him for the sake of finding out what God wanted. I'm not trying to have anybody here to excel just to be an oddball. That's not what I'm talking about. But uh, we, we just have to understand that, that we, are ex- we are extremely influenced by <clears throat> all of these voices and powers. I go to some of these meetings, especially some of these meetings we have for our Christian school, or and I, I get the every time you turn around, it's, oh, you better watch out. Somebody's going to sue you. You got to watch what you say from behind the pulpit. Somebody's going to sue you. And you know the reason why they say that because that's what's happening. Every time you turn around, somebody's going to sue you. After a while, you just say, oh, you better watch out now. You, you, you have to watch how you label things. Don't call people sinners. Don't hurt their feelings. You know, you follow what I'm saying? You just, you know, you just, you got to watch out, you know. And so this, this goes over and over and over in the minds, especially of men who stand behind pulpits. And then there is uh, an area, and that is, uh, don't talk too much about spiritual leaders because, if you appear to be strong, you might be branded, you know, as, as a cult leader. Why? Because so many are. Now, there's a lot of strong ministers. I think some of these, uh, especially the names that I call, that's they should be. But but here again, I don't associate that with Christianity. Period. Anybody gets that mixed up with Christianity, you know you. You know, there's something wrong. And then when we leave from there, we talk about the husband and wife relationship. This is a woman's world, you know. Do you know that? Ladies, this is your day. And I want to be very respectful, but on the other hand, you've got to understand what I'm saying. Where do you think the atheistic endeavor and leadership is coming from here in the states 
from women. Right. Do you know that? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I just happen to know what I'm talking about. I remember when I was leaving Texas, there was a lady down there that uh, had filed a petition with the Supreme Court to get prayer out of schools. She was an atheist. Madeline Murray O'Hare. She went throughout this country talking on campuses. Now, I do not blame the women of this world for that. So I don't want anybody to feel that I'm blaming the women. Because I think that men were derelict in their responsibilities. In many cases, uh, there was abuse of leadership, abuse of power. You know. And in our own city, <clears throat> who is the predominant atheistic figure here? Ann Gaylor. Now, I have made this statement before, but I, 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 I want to make it again. You know, the atheistic movement, all of the effort spent, it's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. You may say, why? Why spend all your lifetime fighting something that you claim does not even exist? Now, you figure that one out. Now, to me, that's fighting a lost cause. I want to spend all my lifetime preaching and fighting against something that I say does not even exist. <clears throat> I don't understand that. If I'm going to fight for something, I'm going to fight for something that I believe that is real and vital and important. Uh, when we look at the, the churches in and the book of Revelation, I don't want you ladies to get up in arms tonight, okay? I just want you to buckle your seatbelts and listen. All right? You got to do this, you know. I mean, it's, it, you know, really. I mean, we're, if we talk about some of the issues of our time, we just have to do this. We're going to be talking to the men, too. Because the way the things are swinging in this unisex world... As far as role models are concerned, when we get into the seventh millennium, there will not be one speck of difference. And if it's going to be preserved, it has to be preserved in the church. And you may say, well, why try to preserve something? Because it's scripture. God gave us the Bible. And there is a time which we have to say, I believe God. And that's just the way it is. I just believe God. Now, the last church age that I see uh, is in Revelation 3. It's a message to Laodicea. The word Laodicea actually means rule by the laity. 
that's this church age that we live in. However, uh, we find that there is also a church that will go into tribulation. And that's the church of Thyatira. Uh, If you will uh, look back in the second chapter, verse 18, unto the church of Thyatira. Now, if you notice verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my spirits, servants, pardon me, and to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. You know, someone asked me not long ago, said, how do you deal with cases where, uh, you know, there's people just living together, people wanting to do this? I said, well, you just tell them they shouldn't be living together. It's just simple. How do you stop from offending people? I'm not for sure that you can. I'm not for sure you should. I mean, the Bible is the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. Would you believe that we had a lady that came into our church and received the Holy Ghost, and the first thing she did, she called her live-in boyfriend and told him. And he got so irate. She said, I'm moving out. I'm not going to be living with you anymore. He got so irate, he ran over to his pastor. His pastor wanted to talk with me. So he drove all the way from Lake Mills over to, to my office and sat in my office and said, What's this business about you telling these couple, this couple they should break up? I said, I didn't tell them that. They're living together. Did you know they're living together? He said, yeah, but they love each other. I said, are you mean to, are you telling, he said, but they love each other. They come to church. I said, now, hold a minute. Now, I have heard of a lot of bizarre things. But you think it's all right for them to live together? He said, well, this is, it was like 88 or something. This is 1988. I said, now, they have plans to be married. Uh, You mean you you would go ahead and go through counseling and everything while they're still living together and not? He said, well, You don't want to break up a love relationship, do you? I said, well, I'm sorry. I can't go along with that. He said, well, I'm sorry, Pastor. He said, you're just out of tune with the times. That's what he told me. The The man called me up and told me, he said, I'm coming to kill you. He told me, he said, I have my, I have my, my deer rifle. He told me what it was, uh, 30-06, loaded up, coming after you. I said, oh, by the way, I probably won't be at church, but I live at, at 4873 Felon Road. I said, now, for you, if you'll get off the interstate on the end and go toward... Sun Prairie, take the first left, which is County Trunk T, go all the way down just before you get underneath the interstate, and you take the road to the right. I'm the third house on the left up there. 
He says, Ha! He said, You don't scare me. I said, Well, you don't scare me either. You told me you're coming to kill me, and you can't threaten me with heaven. I started out serving God in 1961 because I wanted to go to heaven. And threatening a Christian with death is no threat at all. So don't come in here telling me that you're trying to scare my socks off by telling me you have a 30 alt 6 I'll be waiting for you. You come right ahead, Buster. I never saw him. I don't know what he's doing today. But I wasn't going to let something like that scare me. You may say, well, what if he'd have killed you? Well, you know, I've always felt if I ever get a good chance to go to heaven, I shouldn't pass it up. <clears throat> but that's why I started out serving God. Am I so in love with the earth and this planet that I would compromise my faith in God, my fidelity to my Savior, and give it all up because I'm afraid of some pipsqueak with a 30 out 6 God forbid. i got to be stronger than that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thyatira, the Bible says <clears throat> that she will go into great tribulation, verse 22. So, while this is the Laodicean church age, there is also the church of Thyatira that will go into great tribulation. The thing about it is that <clears throat> Jezebel is the role model for Thyatira. Now, I'll tell you one thing about Jezebel. Jezebel was a married woman with an unmarried spirit. <clears throat> you hear what I said? Jezebel was a married woman with an unmarried spirit. Now, when you marry, you give yourself to each other. And that's just the way it is. You know. I believe that God has a definite role for men and he has a definite role for women. And he has a definite role for children. And he has a definite way in which those role models conduct themselves and job descriptions for each. This is how the planet Earth is held intact. That is as far as the human race. And if the devil can break that down, guess what? The human race is gone. And we're getting ourselves into something that's, and you can do this, that, that, you, that, that it's easy to get into some things, but it's hard to get out of them. You know, the spies that went to Jericho, you know how they got into Jericho? When they marched across Jordan, you know how they got into Jericho? They walked through the door, the gates. But when they walked in there, the gates were closed. And the word got around that there were spies, and they had to hide themselves up in the thatched roofs and such 
of the walls and they had to be let down out of Rahab the harlot's uh, house they had to be let down in order for them to escape. In other words, it's easy to get in there, but it's not so easy to get out. And this is what happens sometimes. Little cute things and such, you know, that we, we allow. We allow kids to get in this mo, uh, this, this uh, uh, frame of mind. And they get into this, and it's cute, you know. It's just fun. We were just discussing a little situation where a little, little child was right away, you know, just not hardly talking, telling his mother, no, no, no. And uh, what's done about it? Well, all kids do that, so it's not alarming, but what are you going to do about it? And now we have so many laws, and, I, <laughs> and this may be a hot potato, but there, let me tell you something. There, we got so many laws now that you don't even know what to do. You say, what can I? What are my rights? Parents don't have rights anymore. Oh, I know that there have been children that have been abused. I know that. But you see, what happens when we see these things, we always go to the opposite pole. We go too far. We never find a balance. How can you find a balance if you ignore the Word of God? See, that's the whole problem. Then someone came and told Sister Grant. She said, I notice Brother Grant's always telling you what to do. You do not have to listen to him. <laughs> so you don't have to listen to what he says. My wife said, well, why shouldn't I? I want to. You do? No. But now, really, this is the frame, the, the, the mind frame. This is... This is, the, this is the mindset of our day. You, fo you follow what I'm saying? Now, I'm going to say this, not to embarrass Sister Grant. Sister Grant is one of the finest Christian ladies, the finest Christian lady I've ever seen. I really mean. One day, however, she came into... The, where I was, <laughs> now you have to you have to hear this. You have to hear this, and, and, and I say this very complimentary. My wife does a tremendous amount of counseling, and she does a good job. But she came in; she's telling me what she told a man of our church. And you know, she was saying, "I tell you what I told him." She told me, and I looked at her. And I said, as long as you live, don't you ever talk to one man of our congregation like this again. She said, but I was right. I said, you may have been right, but the right person will tell the right man the right thing. And that's going to be me, not you. Now, you, you can pull rank on all the ladies of the church, but you don't pull rank on the men of our church. Glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> she said, I'm sorry. <laughs> forgive me. God, forgive me. <laughs> I said, he will. <clears throat> and I love her, and I love her dearly. 
And that's not an issue with us. I said it one time. That's all I had to say it. And that's it. Was I firm? I was very firm. And I know every now and then we'll have some sister of the congregation that, I don't know, you know, just all of a sudden wants to wear the pants around here, you know. <laughs> Jump up and say, things are going to be done the way I want it done. Scripturally, listen to me. All of you precious ladies and you men. Now I can get heavy into the scripture. But men, according to the scripture, were designed by God to be strong and decisive. And aggressive. Not abusive now. Not abusive. Women were designed by God to be strong but their nature they were designed by God to be feminine their strength is not in their ability to be aggressive as men are Now, let me just say this to all of you, <laughs> precious ladies. If you want to wrap your husband around your finger, all you have to do is be the lady that the Scripture tells you to be. That's all you have to do. He'll die for you. That's all you have to do. <clears throat> I'm aging very fast. <laughs> I'm living proof of that. <clears throat> no, really. You know, I, I gave a lot of thought to this. I got to tell you, I thought, now, should I even talk about some of these things? Really, should I? I mean, is it is it right? But you see, I'm seeing so much we, we just don't understand. When we look in the Bible, you know, God puts a certain thing in us by nature. And when we transgress against that, uh, we're not happy. We're unfulfilled. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The boys in our Christian school... When they start in kindergarten, the first thing they want to do is challenge each other. They want to find out who's the strongest, who's the biggest. And, you know, and you, you, know, you really have to talk with them because they, that can get out of bounds. You know, but they, they do this. Someone just asked me, say, how come the boys all the time want to fight? And the girls want to sit down and color in books, read. <clears throat> you know? It's just the, the difference in their nature. It really is. You find one of the boys and all he wants to do is sit over in a corner 
cross-stitching with the girls. You get a little bit concerned, you know. You want to take him out in a mud hole someplace and rub his nose against some gravel. Say, toughen up, boy. You follow what I'm saying? It's, I mean, that's, that's the nature. Now, the, see, the amazing thing is that they were designed to work together. The husband and the wife. One not being superior to the other, but having definite and different roles. That's, that's the way it goes, see. Definite and different roles. And then the children come along. Now, it takes both the reasoning men, for the most part, seem to run their life by logic. Ladies run their life by feelings. They're emotional. You know, there's been times I say, well, why not? My wife said, but hon, you need to understand. I don't understand. But you got to understand, you know. But I don't. So e- even when you have boys, you know, if, if they want to work out a problem, they come to dad. If they want money, <laughs> understanding and sympathy, they go to mom. Now, I know how that works, and the reason why I know how that works is because when I want a lot of attention, I know where to get it. And I'm so glad that women are that way. I really am. I am so glad. My dad, I wouldn't ask him for a thing. I was so... I would not. I'd go to my mother and I said, "Can I use a car?" She said, "You don't ask me. You." And when I got up enough nerve, sometimes I just I I'd go tell the girl, I, "I'm sorry, something came up," and I. Couldn't get up enough nerve. I had no problem with mom. Dad, whew, I'm here to tell you. I go to him. My dad was kind of a, you'd ask him a question, and he had this faraway look in his eyes like he never heard you. He'd just sit there and look for a long time, like he was counting flies or spiders on the wall or something. Like he was really concentrating on something. So what about it, Dad? And he'd turn and look at me and said, What? Yeah. I said, I, I asked if I could take the car. He said, well, I heard you. He said, I'm thinking about it. Oh, no. He could talk himself out of anything. <laughs> Don't think very long, Dad. <clears throat> you know, but every now and then he'd just say, All right, no problem. And I'd, I'd walk away and say, it's supposed to be tougher than this. 
isn't it? Now, I have one of my sons here, and I don't know if John's here, but you boys need to understand I had a good teacher. That's all I want to say about that. <laughs> but basically, what, what I find in the Scripture, that there must be understanding and respect for each other. And then, when it comes down to <clears throat> individuals in the kingdom of God, that is, people working what I consider on the same level, brothers and sisters in Christ in a congregation, there must be understanding and respect for each other. I think this is, uh, this is so, so very important. Satan does... His greatest work in the planet earth through the children of disobedience. I mean, how could Satan really touch the church unless he got inside the church and worked among the children of disobedience? How could, what, what could he do to us? What could he possibly do to us? Could he stop us? No. Could he harm us? No. I can show you in the scripture that the only thing that Satan can do to you without express permission from God is to lie to you. He cannot touch you. But now, he can lie at random. And does he ever do this? My does he ever do this? Now, what I am seeing is that basically, if Satan can get us disjointed, if he can create factions among us, there's a lot in the epistles about this stuff. Get people talking about each other. You know, it's a fairly new year. I wonder how long you could go into this year and be 100% Christian. By that I mean not talking about somebody. How many of you would try that with me? See how, see how far we can go. Just talking about good things. Boy, some of you don't want to commit yourself, do you? I mean, you're hooked on this habit, aren't you? You're addicted, aren't you? Some of you are addicted. You have to have a shot before you get out of here tonight. <clears throat> no, wouldn't it be great, really, if we just build each other up and think of the... You know, I thought when Brother Eckenrod was up here to have a, a youth pastor and his wife. And and I, I know that probably this was a honeymoon type thing, you know, as far as... Uh, well, I didn't mean... I'm, I'm talking about... <clears throat> oh, my. I guess if they were having a real honeymoon, they wouldn't want all these kids along, but... Uh, Like when John and Patty Gaminder got married, Patty came and said, I think Sister Rose going on a honeymoon with us. <laughs> they were going to the conference. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, well. <clears throat> but isn't it great, though, to have a youth pastor and his wife uh, take the, and you 
you kids who were privileged to go and go down there and be with these precious saints in Mexico and to see life from a different point of view than, than, than a life that's just surrounded and enshrouded by so many things here. Did you know I talked with a lady in, in, in St. Mary's Hospital. I went up to see Rose, and there was a lady in the waiting room, and I talked with this lady. And before her and her husband this week, and 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 so I I thought I recognized her when I I saw her before. She had a a cap on and she was bundled up, and and uh, her husband had had a heart attack, and he had uh, five by, bypass surgery. Now he's going through therapy and such. So I saw her there. I made eye contact with her, and I I thought, well, I'm not for sure that's her, I, you know. And uh, but then when I uh, talked with Sister Rose and. Sister Rose, you know, she's always smiling, and you know, she was sick, but she was smiling, and and she's just a, a precious person. And going out of the room, I was just smiling and laughing. I came in the lobby, then I was thinking about her, and and so I made eye contact again. I was kind of smiling. I was this lady smiled a little bit, and I said, "I'm sure that's the lady." So I went over and asked her. I said, "Are you uh, Mrs. Esdorf?" And she said, "Oh yes. Oh, I know you." <clears throat> So we were talking. She said, yes. She said, you know, we're from the old country, Germany. And she said, we've been here in the States for a good number of years, and it's been quite an adjustment. And we've had some problems. She, she went into some family problems. And, but she said, I'd like for you and your church, if you would, to pray for my husband. His name is Uva, spelled U-W-E. I don't know how he gets Uva out of that, but maybe some of you Germans. Estor had this heart attack. A very fine man. She said, pray for him and pray for me. I invited her out to church, talked with her about the church. She never heard of Pentecost. She said, we came over here, you know, and... Our church, Lutheran church, of course, a lot of Germans are Lutherans because that's where Lutheranism started. But she said, it's so different here. We just haven't been able to fit in. What's the problem? She said, I think it's the culture, the lifestyle. Create a lot of, a lot of problems. She said, you know, we try to live like we did in Germany. We just can't do it here in the States. Too much pressure for children. Well, what's the problem? She said, well, you know, <clears throat> now, I'm not saying I agree with this. I'm just telling you. She said, uh, I highly respect my husband. I revere my husband. See, the old country, she said, uh, the men ate first. She said, we cooked the meal. The men came in, ate everything you wanted. And then the children and the wife ate. Especially during the war, because we didn't have a lot of food, and he had to be—he had to work hard physically. I mean, really, with his hands, he had to work hard. And uh, she said, "Oh, we didn't question that. We did because we wanted to. I mean, we revered, we revered, and the children revered their parents. I mean, they just—I mean, they really revered their parents. You know." I told her, I said, I was in Germany several years ago. I ministered in Birchisgard. 
I remember seeing a bunch of teenagers in the street, and they were listening to uh, American rock and roll. I could tell it was English. And I said, these, these kids know English? They didn't know English. Listen to it. And then, of course, somebody, uh, you know, comes along and interprets what it's all about. And uh, <clears throat> when I was over there, several different expressions were made to my wife and I because we talked English. So we were talking to a lady in Switzerland. I said, you know, I, I noticed a little hostility. I mean, uh, she said, yeah, because uh, you Americans try to push your liberalism on us. What do you mean liberalism? I've never been in a place more liberal than over there. See, Europe is very conservative in lifestyle, liberal in in the political arena. You know, just, that's. But you know, I said, well, I don't really understand. I thought, you know, more you were more liberal here. She said, oh, I'm not talking about that. She said, we believe in a good, strong family unit. And all this garbage coming out of the states is breaking and tearing down our culture, and we don't like it. All this rock music. She said, you folks have got to be crazy to let your kids listen to that. You've got to be crazy. I just stood there. I thought, yeah, we probably are. And that's what she said. But you try to do something about it here. The mindset is, don't tell me what to do. I made this statement this morning. It was made last week. You know, you may have a right to do something, but you may, be, may not be right when you do it. <clears throat> but that's basically what she was saying. And, and I'm going to go just one step further in, in all of this, and let me just talk about something. Of course, you know, we are considered to be holiness people. And I know some of our churches have grown so swiftly that one pastor told me, he said, well, I can't afford to teach any standard of Christian living because we got so many new people and we're, we're so busy evangelizing. I said, but the whole problem is you'll end up with a gang, not a church. And there's a vast difference in having a gang and having a church. We are commanded to teach people. See? Now, the reason why there's government is to create an atmosphere of peace and respect. There has to be peace and respect. There has to be. I mean, there just has to be. We have government in the school. Every now and then a kid will get a little bit rebellious. Isn't that right? Now, some of the little ones, and I'll just tell you parents, when your little ones get in trouble, unlock the laws that protect the juveniles. You know what we need to do with these juveniles that keep going out of the court? Somebody just needs to literally scare the daylights out of them. Start them out young where they respect authority. Get them down there, can't print their name, can't tell what they did. Pat them on the back and send them out, let them do it again. Teach them a lesson. These little ones, when they're that way, I said, every child that's rebellious, I want him in my office. And when he comes in there, I look at him and say, why were you bad-mouthing this teacher? 
you think because she's a woman you can get by with it? Well, you've got a great big bear sitting behind this desk that's not afraid of you. Now you listen to me. And you pick up your chin, look at me while you're, while you're, while I'm talking to you. Don't you close your eyes or, if you're big enough to act this way, you're big enough to face reality. You've never been in trouble till you've been in trouble with me. You get out of this office and you get back in that room and you sit down and you button that lip and I don't want to hear one other thing, friend. I'll throw you out of this office out in a snowbank by your ear. Some of you may not like it, but I'm trying to help you in your home. I said, I'm trying to help you in your home. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I wouldn't expect Sister Rossing or Sister Grant or Sister Ryan or Sister McDonald. Now Sister McDonald has leave of absence because of sickness. And Sister Becky Martin has taken her place. I wouldn't expect these ladies to do that. Oh, if they did it, it wouldn't bother me. Because they are in charge. But I don't expect that. I think that they do it all the time, that their nature might become inverted somewhat. Really. Did you know all the, the whole business about holiness standards in the scripture? I might as well talk about this. I got another hour, is it? Another glass of water. The whole business of holiness standards in the scripture is for the defining of roles. Do you know that? Look at the Deuteronomy twenty two five law, and you might as well just turn back here. We just cover everything here tonight. Now, occasionally you just you have to do this. Deuteronomy 22.5. Now, the whole chapter of Deuteronomy is dealing with the law of separation. To teach separation. Now, everything that applies in Deuteronomy 22 does not apply in the New Testament. Some things do and some things do not. You may say, how would you know? By picking up the teaching in the New Testament. All right. Deuteronomy 22.5, the Bible says, A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, there's a reason why that that's in the Scripture. The reason why it's in the Scripture is so that there can be a clear, distinctive role difference. That women should be feminine, they should dress feminine, they should act feminine, they should look feminine, and men should be strong, aggressive, and decisive. Now, when I'm saying aggressive, I'm not talking about being rude. I think one of the greatest strengths of a man is to be a gentleman. And I think some of our boys need to to learn that. What you need to learn how to do is open the doors for some of these girls. 
<laughs> there you go. Yes. But you know, even that's frowned upon, isn't it? See, I will occasionally go in like Woodman's and I'll open the door. And here comes a lady. She's got two sacks of groceries. She's going to go to the other door. You don't open the door for me. Because there's some that way. You know, really. You want to say, wife, would you open the door for this lady? So she'll walk through it. But she's not going to walk through it if I don't open it up. But you see, this this is, when you look in the scripture, the Deuteronomy 22 law, 22.5 law, deals with the law of separation of the sexes. 1 Corinthians 11, same thing, when it talks about a lady and her hair. Her long hair is a distinctive sign of an attitude of submission to headship. Read it. It's right there, plain, black and white. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 15, very same thing. I mean, the very same thing. And now, I, I just want to, uh, to go to a, a scripture. I didn't mark this one in my Bible, and I don't have it. In, in 1 Peter 3, let's take a look at this. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they... Also, may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning? Let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. If God puts value on it, so should I. So should you. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well. And the doing well has to do with the context of the scripture. In other words, ladies are called the daughters of Sarah, like we are all the children of Abraham. And as an outward sign of this, they adorn themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. So there's a lot in the Bible about this. And certainly it's not my intent to do a lot of in-depth teaching on this tonight because I've been spending a lot of time on a lot of other things. But, but for the most part, our holiness standards have their roots in the defining roles of individuals. They really do. Isaiah 47, uh, this is a passage of scripture that I, I have <clears throat> talked about before, but this is the judgment upon Babylon. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, 
Sit on the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Talking about the daughters of Babylon, okay? Take the millstones, grind the mill, uncover thy locks, make bare thy leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Now, basically what he's doing is he's saying that the ladies that fully clothed themselves, after a while they, they decided they wanted to do a man's job. Let me grind at the mill. Let me, and after a while they, they just started disrobing themselves. All right? And what says cross over the rivers, that means they passed over the boundaries. They went beyond what God wanted. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. Notice what God said. I will take vengeance. God says, I will take vengeance. But notice what he says. And I will not meet thee as a man. You know what he's saying? If you want to look like a man and dress like a man and act like a man, remember this, judgment day is coming. But when I judge you, I won't judge you by what you want to be. I will judge you by what the Bible says a woman ought to be. That's the way I'm going to judge. And I think it goes the other way too. That God will judge the men by what God expects and requires in men. That's an amazing thing, you know. <clears throat> My wife was over reading. She said, here's an interesting statement. She picked up a Louis L'Amour book. Now, she's more carnal than I am. She reads that stuff. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, don't you, when I say a little more? How many of you read a little more book? Okay, all right. <clears throat> My house has a few little more books in it. Charlie and Sister Grant. They'll be talking about somebody at the table. Who are you talking about? I think it's a distant relative that went bad. <laughs> somebody asked me, are you, are, you, are you kin to President Grant? I said, I don't know. I, I began to trace my lineage. I went all the way back to Jesse James, and I got afraid to look any further. <laughs> no, that was only a joke. <clears throat> but she picked up this book, and you know what it said in this book? In the, in the back of it, he was defining the culture and the dress. And he says, worldwide, it was not until after the turn of the century that you would ever see a woman in anything outside of a skirt or dress. You would not find it. That was a worldwide standard. And he said, even the ladies covered all of themselves. You would occasionally see their ankles when they got on a wagon or a horse. Now, I am saying that to say this, that the last 95 years on the planet Earth has changed. All I'm saying is, 
would all of you women and would all of you men and would all of you children take a fresh look at Scripture? And could you do it by disassociating yourself from your personal feelings? Could you do it? The thing that's so impressive about the search for truth on the front, there's a man attempting to open his Bible, and this is what it says when you open your Bible. Open your heart. Can you do that? It's not my intent to be restrictive. It's not my intent to be tough. It is my intent to fulfill my role to lead this church if necessary, into the seventh millennium. And we have pressures like we have never had before. I'm not the only preacher. You're hearing Dr. Dobson and some of the more fundamental ones talk about things like this. Chuck Swindoll had a series back in 1980, pardon me, 1992, and this had to do uh, with uh, the virtuous woman. I didn't listen to all of it. I didn't have the opportunity, but I'll tell you what. He literally moved me when he talked about this. He literally moved me. And then he had a series about the man. But he said, you know, basically, the worst thing you can do as a parent is to sit down at your table and while you're eating your precious little children with ears open with eyes open hear you complaining about everything you disagree with that is the worst thing he said you can do if you disagree with me the worst thing you can do is take that message to your precious little children While our children were in the public school as much as possible, I tried to enforce everything that I could that the teachers were requiring. And I didn't think they were always equitable. I didn't think they were always fair. But I wanted my children to feel good about it. Because that person is an instructor for him. If I ever reached the place I felt that I considered that that teacher is nothing but an old windbag, my son wouldn't go hear that old windbag. You hear all this business about cops, and we have a policeman sitting right down the aisle for me tonight. But let me tell you something. You do your children a favor to get them to believe that most policemen are honest peace officers that are trying to help them because their hands have been so tied by this rebellious society of ours this lawless society praise God well I've done it let's stand would you lift your hands with me right now oh God of heaven Hello, Moshe Talri. Corre, Matosa, Kandaria, Kadata, Kataya.
Oh, Jesus of heaven, I sure love you. I worship you, God. Oh, my Lord and my Savior, God, I love you. Lord Jesus, I sure love you, God. I sure worship you, God. I sure praise you, God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being good, for being kind to us. And Lord, we love you. Uh, Do you really love the Lord? Praise God, praise God. And I know we have guests here. you probably never heard a preacher talk like this in your life. I think you need to give some serious thought to this too. Where are we going as a human race? What are we faced with? <laughs> you look around and you say, well, there's corruption everywhere. There's always been corruption. There was corruption back when these laws were written. There was abuse back when these laws were written. Really, there's no new thing under the sun. It's just that this is the way of life. Praise God. I'm going to give you a chance to come and pray. Anyone who'd like to seek the Lord, the altar's open for everybody that'd like to come right now. Just come on at random, all of you. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, prepare. To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, bright and Oh, hallelujah! And with thanksgiving. 